four rules for a happy life. I hold in my hand a picture that you cannot see, but it is the picture of John Bellucci, 1949 to 1982. I was intrigued by the title, A Life That Guaranteed Death at an Early Age, 33 Years of Age. Some of the article goes like this. He always found it hard to wind down. This night, his mania was apparently fortified, as it often was, by cocaine. Sadly, perhaps fatally, he had just the antidote. Earlier that evening, he had reportedly ordered a gram of heroin, a large and no doubt high-quality stash worth as much as $1,000 on the street. After his body was discovered the next morning in his bungalow at the Hotel Chateau Marmont, both heroin and cocaine were found in his bloodstream. Needle marks were found on his arm. Excess was a lifestyle for Bellucci. He was a man without a sense of limits. He ate too much, drank too much, and as those who knew him recalled last week, he indulged in staggering, in a staggering spectrum of chemical diversions. And again, the title, A Life That Guaranteed Death at an Early Age. I was not a Bellucci fan, but evidently many people were from what I have observed over these past days. Bellucci is just an example of the thousands today that die looking for happiness. It's just that you don't know who they are. They did not have the limelight as he had. A brief moment at the top and then to the depths. Tragedy indeed, but so emblematic of what is happening in our world today as men seek for happiness. This brought to my attention what the Bible says about real happiness. It is so real that centuries after the psalmist wrote about it, Peter wrote about it to the church. Did you not notice that what Peter wrote was what we read from the Psalms a few moments ago, 1 Peter 3, Psalm 34? Same thing. It survived centuries between the Psalms and the Epistles. It must mean something. The writer of Psalms had a unique way of stating truth. We have found that out as we have studied the Psalms. And so in this particular area, he gives specific guidance for people who wish to see happy days. And really, is that not what all of us wish? Some seek it in a needle. Some seek it in pleasure. Some seek it in lights. But all are seeking it. Everybody wants to be happy. How do you know if you're on the right track? How can you tell that you are seeking it in the right way? From the right source? 
Well, we have an answer from the book of books. In every age, God knew that man would be struggling to find meaning to life. Peter recognized it. All of us, in some way, recognize that quest to be fulfilled and to make something out of life. When Elvis Presley was still alive, I sat at a dinner table with Pastor James Hamill, who was then the pastor of First Assembly of God in Memphis, Tennessee. Now he is Pastor Emeritus. I said to Pastor Hamill, Jim, I've heard a lot about Elvis and how he attended your church at times. Could you give me the story? I'd really like to hear it firsthand. Among other things, he told me that on an Easter Sunday night, Elvis sat in the service at First Assembly in Memphis with some of his Hollywood friends, having grown up there. After hearing the pastor's message, the service ending, he asked one of the men if he could see the pastor privately. It was arranged. And for one and one half hours after the service was over, Elvis sat in the office of Pastor Hamill at First Assembly in Memphis, Tennessee, pouring out his heart to his friend, Pastor Hamill. Among other things, this is what he said, I am the most unhappy man in this world. That's a quote from a man who had wealth, cars, property, publicity, everything that you think you need. And yet he said, I am the most unhappy man in this world. You see, the problem with 20th century people is that we see these kind of people up in the lights and we start worshiping them. In the early service, when I was at this very point in my message, we had an outburst from a worshiper who threw material in the air that he was holding in his hand right back here and hit the back door with a great force and went out and promised to kill me. Why is that? Because we look for the stars. We look for the easy way. We put our hope in the Baluchis and the Presleys and suddenly the guitars stop. Suddenly the lights go out and there is a lonely procession to a cemetery led by a man on a motorcycle. And it's all over. And our hopes are gone. You see, it doesn't satisfy. So we come back to the ancient of days for an answer. We come back to the living truth of God to find out how we are to live. And it's so simple. It is so elementary. It is so basic. It's incredible. But how we can miss it looking at the lights 
and the stars of this world. Let's take a look at it. What do you say? With our hearts. And see if we today, here in this meeting, are truly following God's rules for a happy life. Because if we don't, our end will be no better. It may be a little different, but it will be no better. First rule, you have your Bible open, Psalm 34, verses 12 to 14. The psalmist speaks, what man is he who desireth light and loveth many days that he may see good? And then the rules, starting in verse 13. Number one, keep your tongue from speaking evil. Isn't that a strange rule? You would think it would be something far more sophisticated than that, wouldn't you? But it's so basic and so simple. Keep your tongue from speaking evil. Someone has written, words are pointed spears. They can maim and kill, and indeed they can. There are people unhappy, dissatisfied, sick because of words. I read in the paper, was it not Saturday morning's paper? I don't know, about... A family that has been harassed for some 35 years by a woman on the telephone because when this man was a boy, he was bitten by her dog as a paper boy. And there was some kind of thing developed out of that and she hasn't let it die for 35 years. She's even spent time in the workhouse because of her harassment with her tongue. I could take you to a sick woman today. If I knew who she was, that's her. No happiness because of this rule in the Bible. When I was a kid, as probably everybody here can remember, we had a couple lines that were going around our friends used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words can never hurt me. That sounds so good, but it's so untrue. Because words do hurt. They maim. They destroy. That's why in counseling young couples we say, speak kindly to each other. Many homes are broken because of individuals making war with argument, cursing, bitter comment. There is a simple rule to follow in life if you are to find happiness, and it is this, a man must restrain his tongue from evil. Unfair, careless, harsh words make a mountain of unhappiness. I read the story of two neighbors who were made lifelong enemies by a quick word of criticism which was instantly answered by an even harsher rebuke. The feud began. Grandma and Mrs. Wilcox carried on their battle for over 25 years, living next door to each other. Never a week went by, but they stood on either side of the fence 
to speak words of hatred and bitterness to each other. Grandma felt she could have never endured those years without the help she received from an unknown friend. In the weekly paper, there was a column where women would write to each other under pen names. Grandma and a woman called Seagull had corresponded through most of the years of the strain. They had told each other secrets which they had shared with no one else. That beautiful friendship had been the most wonderful part of Grandma's life during those years. Then one day, Mrs. Wilcox died. In spite of the years of quarreling, Grandma went over to express her sympathy to the daughters of Mrs. Wilcox. The girls were helping clean up the cottage, so Grandma pitched in to assist. While going through the parlor, cleaning it up, she came across a scrapbook of her neighbor, Mrs. Wilcox, her enemy for over 25 years. As she looked at the scrapbook, she was amazed to find pasted to the pages newspaper letters which she had written through the years. With them were the letters that Mrs. Wilcox had written. Too late, Grandma discovered that the enmity which was born and kept alive by ugly and unkind words was actually with the one she had poured out her heart to in letters to the paper over that same period of time. Seagull was Mrs. Wilcox. You talk about two personalities. You're biting and devouring over the fence and you're writing words of comfort to the newspaper. Is it not true so much of the time? We are chewing and devouring when we should be loving and encouraging. I have expressed before my experience with children at caskets when their parents are gone and in remorse. Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish I had another day with mom or dad. But it's too late. They use their tongues to speak evil rather than good. So the psalmist simply lays down this rule for life. He calls upon everyone listening to me today, here and by television, by radio and by tape, restrain the tongue from evil. Learn to recognize and praise goodness. Find something good to talk about. That is a rule for happiness. If you cannot find something good, then don't say anything. Do not use your tongue as a spear to maim and to kill and to destroy. For you will be the one who eventually dies in bitterness and sorrow. God has laid it down as a reminder to every man and woman, boy and girl. Do not use your tongue to speak evil. 
The second rule is just as easy to remember. Turn away from evil. Eschew evil. Turn away from it. Hate it. Don't play with it. It's a rattlesnake. Turn from it. The psalmist is up to date when he reminds us of the misery and mental anguish which follows a life of evil. Can we do the evil deed and turn away with the same strength of character that we possessed before the wrong? Absolutely not. Can a man cheat on his wife and have a strength of character? No. Can a young person cheat in school and lie and steal and have a strength of character? No. Every time we sin, there is a weakening of our character. There is a dent in our armor. And so God says, if you want a happy life, here's how to have it. Turn away from evil. Do not cater with evil. You see, you look for it in forms that destroy. Just put one word over it all, sin. Sin maims, sin destroys. Who can be happy if he's cheated and deceived his business associates? What youth can be happy if he's living a lie and cannot look his parents in the eye? What woman can be happy who has distorted the truth and maligned the characters of neighbors and friends through gossip? What individual can be happy who goes contrary to the commandment of God? It's impossible. Often people, when confessing to crime and wrongdoing, say, Oh, I'm so glad that's over. Now maybe I can sleep. Lord Tennyson wrote of young Sir Galahad, My strength is as the strength of ten, because my heart is pure. That's a powerful line. For those who wish to see happy days, the psalmist gives this guide, Abstain from evil, turn from it. Keep your tongue from speaking evil. When I'm addressing ministers in some conferences, I have a little story I like to tell about the couple that was on a journey together and they were going down the freeway happily until in conversation something went wrong. You know about that, don't you? And suddenly all you hear is the click of the tires along the freeway at every seam. Nobody's going to speak. The Cold War sets in. The Buick rolls on, but there's nobody going to budge inside of that car. The woman's clear over to the right-hand side, hoping the handle won't flip. She'll be out on the pavement. He's leaning heavily on the left-hand door, steering the car a little cockeyed. After many miles of this, he got inspired, looking out the right side of the car into a field. There was a donkey out there, and he said breaking the silence, relative of yours. <laughs> she broke her silence by saying, yes, by marriage.
It's a great story, isn't it? And so true to life. You see, if you don't get healed in those situations, you have violated the first two laws for a happy life. Your tongue speaking evil, and you're not turning away from evil. Letting good flow and healing come. And often, death overtakes people before they are able to straighten it out. And the remorse and the bitterness. Now, you know what's going to happen this week. I know it's going to happen because I'm praying for it to happen. You're going to be thinking about these points. When you open your mouth to say something, you're going to go, ah, and choke. As the Holy Spirit reminds you that your tongue is not to speak evil. And you're going to be trying to pick up something you know is evil and not good for you, and the Holy Spirit will just arrest your hands. You'll freeze in that position. I want you to know that will probably happen for several days. And then you're going to start getting the victory. But it's got to come to your remembrance several times. You're going to be reminded of it by the Holy Spirit because God wants you to have a happy life. He wants you to succeed. And so he's going to bring this back to your mind. Your mouth will not speak evil. Your hands will not touch evil because God wants you to come to victory. So obey him when he speaks to you. And in days, you will find it normal and natural to do what the psalmist said. You will move into the sunlight if you cooperate with God's Holy Spirit that will follow you wherever you go. You see, I can't. I'm going to be going many miles away. But the Holy Spirit is going to be with you just as he will be with me, and he's going to remind you of this message and of this word from the psalmist and the apostle Peter. Turn from evil, hate it, and don't let your tongue speak evil. Now, what's the third point? Oh, it's simple. Do good. Do good. That's what I have a problem with, you say. Doing good. John Wesley presented practical teaching on the Christian attitude toward life when he was alive. He said, earn all you can, save all you can. Many would have preferred that he stop there, but he added, give all you can. You see, that's what's embodied in this third point, doing good. Sharing, earning, and saving brings little satisfaction to man. You can have the Mercedes. You can have the bungalow at the sea and in the mountain. You can have all of the lights, but that does not bring what the Bible says you need. You need the third part. Sharing, giving away. The psalmist recognized this. Do good, he said. Our world is having a terrible time doing good. We have the Irish against the Irish over in Ireland. We have North and South Korea. We have East and West Germany. We have ethnic group against ethnic group and Golans against Angolans. It's hard, it seems, in our world to do good today. 
You and I have a problem with it. We're having a hard time adapting to some of the conditions of our day. The energy problem even relates to this. We're used to plug-in life. We've forgotten what hot and cold really is. We want to get here or there pronto. So we yell at each other when the air conditioning isn't working right or the heater isn't working right or when the gas bill goes up. As if our whole life depended on PG&E. You see, that's what we're looking at. We know we can't save anymore, and we see this digging in to what we have set aside. And if that's where our hope is, and if that's where our life is, there comes a spirit of unhappiness. You know what I do? I just look at it and laugh. PG&E isn't going to control my life. I refuse to let that happen. I would like to go back once in a while to when we were boys, up in that cold bedroom. My sister's here today. She knows what I'm talking about. Three of us in a bed, piled high with covers we were, when suddenly one of the brothers pulled the covers too far his way. <laughs> oh, you've been there too, huh? You know how you deal with that? You grab a pillow and you start hitting with the pillow. And you know what happens? The brothers pick them up and start hitting back. And it's a riot, literally. But you know some good came out of that. We got warm. <laughs> really warm. And exhausted. So... Wonderful things would come of it. You would settle down under the covers. Nobody had the strength to pull them anymore. You'd fall off into a deep sleep. And in the morning, everything was great. But now we look to PG&E to handle that. See? You see what I'm saying? We've lost some of those marvelous qualities of life. How long has it been since you've had a good pillow fight? I mean, a really knock-down, drag-out, Genuine pillow fight. Good old American life. Whomp! Right across the head. I think we ought to get back to that. In the spirit of love. You won't have to have the heater up. You'll have your own. And you'll lay down in rest serenely. You want to be happy? Do good. Give yourself to someone or something else. It's a principle as basic as breathing is. Give all you can. It's the third step in John Wesley's message. Earn all you can, save all you can, but give all you can. Do good. Have you given anything to anyone this week out of a heart of love? The last thing that we are reminded of to have a happy life is seek peace and pursue it. 
not only to seek it, but to pursue it. There's a difference. There is no substitute for a life of goodness, beauty, and love. No permanent joy can be found unless those qualities have an opportunity to develop and grow. Seek peace and pursue it. And we have all of this media stuff bombarding us today. I was watching a talk show sometime back, and Hugh Hefner and one of his little bunnies was on with Pat Boone. That was a combination. Hugh was talking about his lifestyle, his roommates, while Pat was speaking of his wife and his family, of discipline and goodness. And I said, what a contrast. And it's really the world and the spirit right there in visible form. One man seeking peace and pursuing it, another thinking he's found it, only one of these days to discover it's all froth and emptiness. In Guatemala, there is a great struggle going on today. Our representative to Guatemala is Lauren Tripler, the great man, great missionary statesman. And we are seeking to help the believers of Guatemala. They not only have the political crises, but they have earthquakes often. Not long ago, there was an earthquake that killed up to 17,000 and over 50 of our churches were destroyed in one day, leveled. Brother Triplett was summoned to Guatemala because of the tragedies. One young pastor was dead who had pastored only two months. He had a wife and a nine-year-old daughter. Brother Triplett told me this young man had pastored only two months, having started Bible school long after he had been married, leaving the wealth of his home to follow Jesus Christ. Now he was dead, and because of the problem of disease, he was buried very rapidly, and now Lauren Triplett was standing at his grave when up walked his father, who had received the news in a distant city. And from the other way came another man who was his wife's father. And they stood at that graveside where the ground was freshly dug. And two men who had not been followers of Jesus Christ, who had been critical of this boy who had left the wealth of family to follow Jesus, bowed their heads and wept. And both of them at that grave received Christ into their hearts. Brother Triplett said, I stood there and watched a miracle happen at the graveside of this pastor who had just been buried. And he told me the story. I thought, how true it is. How emblematic of this text. Seek peace and pursue it. Go after it. It wasn't easy for that young Guatemalan pastor to leave his family who had wealth and go to a Bible school and go into the ministry. But did it pay? Absolutely it paid. When father and father-in-law received Christ, he followed without compromise. Seek peace and pursue it. What kind of peace? Peace of heart. Peace of mind. You know you're where you're supposed to be. 
You know you're doing the right thing. You know you're living the right kind of life. You're not a compromise. You're not a hypocrite. Your life is in order. You have peace because you've pursued it. It works in marriage, too, where each person involved pursues peace and will not quit until that peace is in the grasp of the whole family. You don't just run, you pursue peace. And it's not always in your favor. It's sometimes a humbling experience to have to say, I was wrong, but I'm pursuing peace. And we're going to share peaceably in life. I know I'm speaking to some who need this reminder from the Scripture. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That he's able and willing to supply all of our need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And that he's with us always, even unto the end of the world. If you will apply that truth, you will find peace. And you will not end up like a Baluchi or a Presley. You will find what it really means to live. You may be among that innumerable company of restless, dissatisfied persons in our world who are asking, how can we find happiness? I've given you the answer. Have you got it? Are you willing to accept it? Don't allow your tongue to speak evil. Turn from evil. Eschew it. Hate it. Do good. And seek peace. And pursue it. Our world would be healed overnight. That's the haunting thing of this preacher. Our world would be healed overnight. If we would pursue those four things. If we would go after them. At the instruction of God's Holy Spirit. This whole world would come to peace in a night. If we would apply those four principles. Where do we start? Right here. Today, now, with you and me, my family, your family, my life, your life, we apply it, and as a result, it spreads to our world, and hopefully, it will take. Amen? Four rules for a happy life. Simple. Watch your tongue. Remember Philippians 4.8, whatsoever things are good, honest, of good report, holy, pure, think and speak these things. Let's stop this garbage business. I had an opportunity just yesterday to put this to practice. Someone had called me with a bit of news that was harrowing news about a friend. So I picked up the phone, called my friend. I said, this is what I've heard. Is it true? He said, no. That's not true. I said, thank you. How are you going to deal with it? He said, very simply, I have nothing to hide. He said, I'm right. I said, that's what I wanted to hear. Because as long as you know you're right and your motives are pure before God, you can go to bed and sleep at night. You have that kind of conscience. You have that kind of peace. Or has your tongue been used to spread evil 
and you've been dabbling with things you know have not increased the character of your life. You've not done as much good as you possibly could, and you've not been pursuing the peace that our world so desperately needs. Think about it as we bow our heads in prayer. All over this auditorium, on television, radio, let's talk to God because he understands where we're coming from and he's ready to hear our call. It will just talk to him now. So, Father, in this moment of prayer, we ask you to help us apply the principles of both Old and New Testaments today. Somehow we've lost these principles in so many ways, and we want to bring them back to daily life. Heal our tongues, Lord. Heal us in the areas of our lives where we do evil. Help us to do good and seek peace and pursue it, no matter what the cost. For people who have never turned their life over to you, may they do it in these next few minutes and go out a new person in Christ Jesus. Perform a miracle in all of us. I first want to address myself to believers while their heads are bowed. Some of these points have spoken to you. You want to say, Pastor, by an upraised hand, I say I'm going to work on these, and I ask the Holy Spirit to remind me of them as this week progresses. Here's my hand. I know God has spoken to me today. Would you raise it up in the balcony on the main floor as God by his spirit makes the word and the truth real? Yes, many, many hands. God bless you all over the building. I will pray for you in a moment. Now I want to address myself to those of you who are here in this room and need Jesus in your life. You know that you're not a Christian the Bible says that the effectual fervent prayer of a man in right standing with God avails much. And I want to pray for you. God will hear my prayer. I want to lift you to God. I want your sins to be forgiven and for you to walk in newness of life. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm here in need of Christ as my Savior. I raise my hand for your prayer. That's me. I receive him today by faith. God bless you, ma'am, right down here in front. Thank you so much. God bless you, ma'am, right over here. It's so simple. It's just saying, Jesus, you're a Savior. I'm a sinner. I receive you. We come together by an act of faith. How many more? Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Come to Jesus. It's the best offer you've ever had. Thank you right over here to my left. Thank you on the aisle. How many more? Lift them up. Hold them till I see them, then you may put the hand down and I will pray for you, as will many others in this building. You need Christ in your life. Raise your hand. I receive him. Thank you right over here. God bless you in this section. God bless you. How many more? Raise it up quickly. The Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart. Thank you over here to my left in the far section. Thank you so much. I receive him today, Pastor. Thank you back there. God bless you in this left section. Thank God for this response. How many more as I wait just a moment before we end this service?